And I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. This week we've got a 35-year-old missing persons case which turned into one of Britain's very few no-body murder convictions and has been back in the news once again this year. In fact, this month, this week, probably today. <laughs> uh, this case has got everything. Murder, deception, our old favourite, life insurance fraud, immigration fraud, and one woman's 35-year hunt for her mother. It is the very sad and twisted story of the disappearance of Carol Packman. Yes, this one is complex, but fascinating. Wild. Yeah, it's wild. wild. Although I'm using that to describe pretty much everything at the moment. This year is just wild. Uh, yeah, life <laughs> existence is wild, really. Yeah. Um. So, on the afternoon of June fifteenth, nineteen eighty-five. 16-year-old Samantha returned to her family home in a respectable upper-middle-class neighborhood of Bournemouth on England's south coast after a day out in London. Uh, and when she got home, she found her mother's wedding ring on the kitchen table with a note saying that she'd had enough and was leaving. Now, this might just sound like the story of a woman completely fed up with her life, setting off and starting, just starting over, which happens. It's not an everyday occurrence, but it's also not unknown or unheard of for people to just, you know, disappear and start a new life somewhere else. Yeah. And as we talked about in one of our early episodes, uh, Canoe Do You Think You Are, it might be immoral. It might show complete disregard for your loved ones. Uh, but it's not actually illegal to leave with no word. It's generally called voluntary missing, voluntary disappearance. And as long as nobody's like having you declared dead to claim life insurance money, there's nothing illegal in actually walking out on your life and starting again. But uh, as it turned out, there was nothing normal about Carol Packman's family life. Carol's husband, Russell, assured Sam that her mother wouldn't be away for long and that she would soon return to the family home. After all, the only thing to indicate that Carol intended to leave for good was the wedding ring and the note. And she hadn't taken her clothes, her car keys, or passport. Pa passport? Debt there, passport. After all, the only thing to indicate that Carol intended to leave for good was the wedding ring and the note. Um, she hadn't taken her clothes, car keys, or passport. So she really couldn't go very far. Um, so life continued on for Sam. But two months later, when she still hadn't heard from her mother... She decided to report her missing. She and her father went to a local police station and reported Carol missing. But once again, Russell played down Carol's disappearance. And he was even angry at Sam for insisting on bringing attention to her mother and her, you know, supposed disappearance. Uh, local police launched a missing persons inquiry and appealed for information, but nothing came to light. Until three months later, when a woman walked into that same Bournemouth police station claiming to be Carol Packman. Um, this woman said that she knew she had been reported missing, but she was perfectly fine. She had started a new life, and she just wanted to be left alone. Uh, the woman also emphasized that she did not want her family or anyone else to contact her or know where she was now living. Um, you know, happens every day, right? Oh, yeah. Normal. 
Um, so although Sam always hoped that her mother would return for the next eight years, nobody really went looking for Carol Packman. That was until one night in 1993 when a murder call was sent out from a yacht in the English Channel claiming that Russell, now going by the name Russell Causley, had fallen overboard and was now missing at sea. Uh, Russell had been on a sailing trip with his girlfriend Patricia Causley, whose name he had now taken even though they were never actually married. Uh, his solicitor, Anthony Hackett-Jones, and a friend of Patricia's named Christine Dwyer. Uh, the group was sailing a 40-foot yacht from England to France, which is a fairly regular thing. Quite a lot of people, I mean, there's ferries going backwards and forwards, like God knows how many times a day. It's quite actually a common thing. If you know what you're doing, you can sail across the channel. Yeah. Um, however, the only experienced sailor was Anthony Hackett-Jones, um, everyone else was a bit of a novice. The first evening, they reached the Channel Island of Guernsey, and Hackett Jones said that they would moor there overnight and then set sail again the next morning because the sea's a bit rough, and so rather than trying to negotiate rough sea in the dark. And so the four of them all bedded down for the night. A few hours later, Patricia woke Hackett Jones to say Russell had set sail and they were sailing to France overnight. So he directed Russell, you know, on the best course and then went back to bed. But in the early hours, he was awoken by Tr Patricia once again, this time to tell him that Russell had fallen overboard. The Mayday call was made and a massive search operation was launched, but no trace of Russell was found. Which brings us to the question, was it really possible that both of Sam's parents could just Go missing without a trace? In a word, no. I just... Also, just... Let's take a moment. So, the experienced sailor said, we're gonna stop here for the night. And then yeah. this idiot is like, no, actually, I want to sail to France. It's midnight. Let's go, guys. Yeah. Which is obviously the story... So we'll get to that. But like, it's just, it's a bit out there. Um, yeah, just, just a little bit. Just, just slightly. I mean, if that was, I mean, I'm not an experienced sailor, but if I was and I was in that situation, I'd have been like, I'd have just been like, right, I'm going to take one of these spare ropes and just tie you to a seat so you can't do any more damage. I'm going to lock you in your sleeping cabin or whatever. I don't... I'm assuming this is some sort of like big sailboat yacht Yeah, it's thing. like 40 foot yacht. So okay. there was like... I think there was at must have been at least three uh, cabins because mm -hmm. there was Russell and Patricia. There was uh, Anthony Hackett-Jones and then there was Christine Dwyer mm -hmm. who from all accounts seems to have just kind of been pushed into it like oh we need a fourth and she was a friend of patricia's so it was like okay you're coming with us <laughs> she was just scenery yeah oh boy um well so stupid idiots sailing in the night um right so once back once they're back on dry land patricia cosley and anthony hackett jones began acting very strangely 
Now, of course, we know, we say all the time, everyone deals with grief differently. But when talking to the police, Patricia very quickly flipped from being completely hysterical to being laser focused in a matter of seconds. Meanwhile, um, Hackett Jones didn't really seem to care at all about the fact that his friend was missing at sea. Neither were particularly uh, concerned about the investigation and were keen to return to the UK as quickly as possible, um, all of which Sergeant Phil Falla found very strange. Yeah, one thing should possibly have said before. So the Channel Islands are like a British dependency, so they're kind of part... So they're part of Britain, but they're not part of the UK, but they are part of the British Isles. Yeah. So they're kind of independent, but affiliated. <laughs> so, uh, Police Sergeant Phil Falla, great name, guy, love your name. Um, he found it weird that these people were being weird. So, Sergeant Falla uh, also had to contact Sam, who was the next of kin, and it was during this conversation with Sam that he found out that Russell and Patricia weren't actually married, even though Patricia had claimed that they were. And that Russell's real wife, Carol, hadn't been seen or heard from for eight years. Um, Sam insisted that they needed to find her mother and tell her that Russell had been lost at sea. So, already suspicious that, you know, they were all acting weird and up to something. Uh, Sergeant Phil Fowler immediately put insurance companies on notice. And so this means that if a claim was put in on Russell Causley's life that the insurance companies um, are instructed to contact the police before they begin investigating and processing that claim. So can you guess what happened less than one week after Russell was lost at sea? I'm going to guess someone put in a goddamn claim. Anthony Hackett-Jones put in a claim for Russell's life insurance on behalf of Patricia who was the sole beneficiary, for just under £800,000. Ooh! I mean, this is a massive amount. This is... This is nearly 30 years ago as well. Mm-hmm. So, this £800,000 was supposed to cover uh, the mortgage of a property in London's West End. You'd be lucky to get something that cheap in London now. Yeah. Well, in West End anyway. Uh, but when police and the insurance companies began investigating, they found that Russell had no real wealth and certainly not nothing like, you know, the amount needed to be buying up property in London's West End. Yeah. So while the police, you know, often have limited resources in terms of money and manpower, insurance companies do not. And if they think that you are trying or have tried to defraud them, they will move heaven and earth to prove it. Um, so Hackett Jones, as the Cosley solicitor, frequently contacted the police in Guernsey to find out why the insurance claim was being blocked and why the investigation was going so slowly. Sergeant Falla informed him that it could take months for a body to wash up, and given the island's close proximity to France, there was also the chance that Russell's body could wash up there instead um so, so you've technically got three countries or three different states involved there yeah so three france and yeah and the channel islands as well as the um france and the uk so 
just yeah. to complicate it a little bit more. I feel like that would be super challenging in terms of just coordinating the investigation. Forget like all the other stuff that's going on. Like yeah. that alone would definitely slow things down. Yeah. And I mean, if a body washes up in France with no idea or anything like that, yeah. they've then just got their own investigation to do. Regardless of them thinking, oh, maybe it was somebody, you know, who went overboard on, in the Channel Islands or something. Yeah, totally. Um, so all this sort of badgering of the police just added uh, more suspicion for uh, Sergeant Fowler. Um, and so police back in the UK began surveillance on Patricia. Um, meanwhile... Uh, Guernsey police tried to find Carol. And in the course of their investigations, police found that a Mr. Russell had boarded a late evening ferry from Guernsey to the UK the same night uh, Russell had gone overboard and he paid for the ticket in cash. A bit suspicious. Total coincidence, I'm sure. Yeah. Four months after Russell Cosley was reported to have fallen overboard, he was spotted in Brighton on the south coast, uh, when he met up with Patricia in a pub. The pair were arrested, as was Hackett Jones. Uh, Russell Cosley pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two years in prison. Patricia received a 12-month suspended sentence, but Anthony Hackett Jones pled not guilty, and because he was also the solicitor who made the claims, he was actually sentenced to three years in prison. Ha <laughs> ha um, so now the trio have been sentenced for their insurance fraud scheme. Cooked up because they were greedy and wanted money. That's all it is, literally. There was still one question that was unanswered. Where was Carol Packman? Sergeant Fowler believed that Carol was no longer alive. And his investigation was handed over to Dorset Police. So that's the county where Bournemouth is on the south coast of England. Very popular beach holiday <laughs> place in the UK. Um, Dorset Police Dorset Police began a media campaign appealing for new information. What they found was a story which sounded more like a work of fiction than real life. So we're going to go back to the beginning and try to make sense of this story because even telling it chronologically makes it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> It makes no sense. <laughs> it's always... But we're going to try. So strap in because we're on a wild ride. <laughs> it's always good when telling a story from start to finish chronologically is confusing. <laughs> um, so we don't know much about Carol's childhood, but we know that she was born in 1945. Uh, she left school at the age of 15 and went to work in a factory in Reading. And it was at this factory that she met Russell Packman. Uh, when she was in her late teens. Russell was an electronics draftsman and worked in the aerospace industry. And for a short time, the couple lived with Carol's family, but they soon discovered that Russell had a previous conviction for uh, grievous bodily harm and had been in prison for a short period of time. So uh, Carol's parents asked Russell to leave and Carol went with him. Soon after they moved out, Russell contacted Carol's family and friends, telling them that she did not want any further contact with them, and then the couple moved away. Uh, 
Um, they married when Carol was 20, and four years later, their only child, Samantha, was born. The family moved around a lot for work, spending some time in Canada as well as various places in the UK. Um, and Carol actually taught herself to do the same job as Russell and also began working in the aerospace industry. Can I just say, I think that is so awesome. It's that, super cool. So not only working in aerospace engineering, which even today, most STEM industries are still very male dominated, but she also taught herself how to do that job. I like, I don't and, know how she did that. It's so cool. Like, it yeah. seems so hard. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I just think that's amazing. And it shows you how capable she was. Yeah, absolutely. As a person. So with both parents working in the aerospace industry, the family had quite a comfortable middle class life. Uh, Sam describes her mother as being quite a quiet, introverted person, uh, a real lady who was always immaculately dressed and made up. And I also think that's great because I barely had the effort to put some eyeliner and mascara on this morning. <laughs> I haven't put... Mascara on since 2009. <laughs> I can't imagine what you'd look like with makeup on. <laughs> uh, paler and less <laughs> less freckled. And that's about it. <laughs> I mean, I was shocked when I saw a photo of you wearing a dress on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow. Dark, you had long hair. <laughs> dark times. Dark times. Um, but yeah so very quiet but very you know shows Sam in every interview has always used the word like immaculately presented mm -hmm. to describe her mother um, perfect hair perfect makeup everything like that her father on the other hand she described as an extrovert uh, big loud outgoing personality and she also says that he was very materialistic Always showing off what he had, how much it was worth, you know, expensive watches, always worn above the cuff of his shirt, dinner parties. He would always make a point of telling people, you know, glasses were expensive, Stuart Crystal. He would always talk about what he had and how much it had cost. She also said, what Russell wanted, Russell got. Nobody stopped him. Nobody told him no. Great. But... It turned out that despite their really successful careers, the family had been living well beyond their means. That's how it starts. Um, in the early 1980s, the family returned to the UK from Canada and uh, Russell decided that he just, he wanted a career change. So he set up his own insurance company, which I didn't think was something you could do. So, you know. Yeah, I, that's all I could find was it was an insurance company. I don't know if it was like a brokerage or if they sort of dealt as like, you know, like a middleman type thing. Yeah. Sourcing insurance for people. I don't know the ins and outs. That literally all I could find was it was an insurance company. Also a big leap from aerospace engineering to insurance. Yeah. Bit off the wall there, but okay. Um, he started that company in the early 80s, uh, but... By 1983, the company was struggling and the family were in debt and struggling to pay off uh, their mortgage. Is it their mortgage or the company? Like the company? No, like on their family home. Okay. Yeah. 
That's what I thought. Um, now, this is when Patricia Cosley shows up on the scene. So, Patricia Cosley was a 26-year-old employee of Russell's, and in 1983, she sold her flat and gave most of the proceeds to Russell as a sort of, like, buy-in to the insurance company. This allowed the Packmans to pay off their debts and keep the company alive. But you see, as is often the case in situations like this, Patricia and Russell will, were already having an affair. And to make it even better, Patricia moved into the family home as part of the deal. So not only did Russell now have his mistress living just across the landing from him, they also had live-in childcare for their teenage daughter, Sam. Just lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you see what kind of man he was. Yes. Really. Over the next two years, Patricia and Russell's affair went from secret with Sam acting as a lookout to Carol being kicked out of a master bedroom and Patricia moving into her place in Russell's bed. Sam has described her father as being a disciplinarian, beating her and her mother if they stepped out of line. And she said that her mother was basically being broken. Carol's mental health began to deteriorate. And with it, so did her relationship with Sam, pushing Sam towards her father and Patricia. So Sam admits that when Carol left that day in June 1985, she wasn't that bothered. Plus, her dad was sure that she would return. So, yeah. No big what deal. What have you really got to be bothered about? Yeah, But... Within months of her mother disappearing, Sam's relationship with her father began to break down too. And he told her that he didn't really want her living in the family home anymore. So at 16 years old, Sam packed her bags and left. And she ended up sleeping rough under Bournemouth Pier for a while. She got involved with drugs and spent some time in prison. But she got her life back on track and in her early 20s, she married and had her son, Neil. So, really lovely guy. Yeah. Um, so Russell and Patricia gave many differing accounts of what happened to Carol, none of which have been corroborated. Um, Russell told people that Carol had run off to Germany with uh, a guy in a red sports car, um, that she was working in Italy, she was in Malta, she was in Switzerland, she was in Canada... Basically, the common theme was that she had been having an affair, run off with her new new man, and now lived abroad somewhere. Um, Patricia even claimed to have seen Carol alive and well in Canada and in Germany in the late 1980s. And there is a record of Carol Packman working in the aerospace industry in 1986, a year after she went missing. But upon closer examination, it turns out that this was actually not Carol, but Patricia using Carol's work permit to get a job. There is a documentary on this case called The Investigator, A British Crime Story. It's on Netflix. I believe it's like on Netflix internationally as well, just the UK. So well worth yeah, a watch. It's good. Um, and so we use that to inform a lot of this episode. Uh, so in it, uh, Mark Williams Thomas, who's a former police detective, travels to Canada as part of his investigation into Carol's disappearance. 
And in Montreal, he met with people who knew Russell and Carol when they worked there in sort of the late 1970s, early 1980s. Not sure of the exact years. So all of them were pretty surprised when Russell turned up in Canada in 1986, just out of the blue with his new girlfriend. Uh, Once again, he gave different accounts as to where Carol was. But after a couple of months in Canada, immigration officials turned up at Patricia's place of work. Because not only was she using Carol's work permit, she was doing so at the exact same office Carol had previously worked in. Why would you think that's a good idea? Surely someone in this office would recognize that this is a different human. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's what happened. You know, <laughs> so stupid. But, so even if it's quite like a small sort of expat community or immigrant community, whichever you would like to call it, um, yeah, I would have thought there was probably another job in another office she could probably have got. Yeah. Um. So. Patricia was told to leave Canada within 30 days. And because she did this, no criminal charges were actually filed against her. So with no charges filed against her, on first glance, it does appear to be a paper trail of Carol alive and well in 1986. Damn. That's wild. But yeah, so I was quite surprised that no charges were filed. And it was just like, okay, leave in 30 days. That is very, you have to do. very Canadian though, like... Oh, you're you're in trouble. You're in trouble, lady. But uh, eh, you just want to go on. Get along now. Get out of here after 30 days. Eh, and uh, everything will be okay. Well, we haven't offended any Canadians for a while, so... Welcome. Welcome to the club. You've now been offended by us and my horrible accents. <laughs> hey, if we're going to Australia well, next week, I can I can pull out a good Australian accent. Well, we've already insulted them in the Victoria episode, didn't we? Queen Victoria. That's true. That's true. Well, (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I think the UK and the US really do bear the brunt of our... Yeah. Which is fair, considering. Because (laughs) I'm from the UK, you're from the US, we're allowed to insult our own and each other's countries. It's kind of part of our friendship anyway. Yes, and like... If you're not insulting the U.S. right now, what are you doing? This is the this is the <laughs> prime opportunity. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much good material. Yeah, at the moment, just never ending. Um, but anyway, by 1990, five years after Carol was last seen alive, Russell and Patricia decided they wanted to move and sell the family home. <laughs> but there was a problem. Having spent the past five years telling everyone that Carol was alive, they now had no way of selling the house without her permission because she was still alive. She still owned half of it. Duh, you guys. Um, so, <laughs> so a letter was... It's just... It's just like, I don't... It's just, I can just imagine them being like, ah, oh, damn it. It's like, oh, yeah, we've got all these paper, papers set up and we're ready to go. And, oh, drat, we forgot. Now we actually need her to be, to be alive. Yeah, go figure. Um, so a letter was sent to a solicitor's office in Bournemouth, postmarked from West Germany. 
And the letter was from Carol saying that she wanted to sign over her half of the house and would travel to England to do so. And supposedly, that happened. Um, a woman walked into the office in Bournemouth. She said she was Carol Packman, and the documents were signed and witnessed. And there you go. Uh, Russell and Patricia now own the house outright. And uh, they also, luckily had another piece of paper indicating that Carol was still alive. Convenient. Well, would you look how that turned out. Yeah. However, in The Investigator, Mark Williams Thomas talks to the solicitor who Carol visited, and she says in 1990, there were actually no requirements to check identity before papers like this were signed, which I find crazy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so nowadays... Um, there's all sorts of like money or anti-money laundry legislation, um, which requires proof of identity, proof of address. But that sort of legislation just didn't exist 30 years ago. But even still, you'd have thought that, you know, I just just some kind of ID. Well, yeah, especially because it's related to property. Like, surely if you're saying, oh, I want to like transfer this property that I own or or I, I give permission to sell this property that I own, you have to confirm that that's the person that owns it. Yeah. Otherwise, it, like, you could just be mad at someone. And yeah, just, just like, like, oh, <laughs> Bob really wants to sell his house. So can you just get that set up for me? And, and then Bob's like locked out all because, you know, he, he lawnmowered your, your rose bush or something. <laughs> so in this documentary he also shows a solicitor a letter that russell sent to his solicitor to explain the change of ownership of the house and when you compare the two letters one from russell and one supposedly from carol they were both dated and postmarked in west germany just 20 miles from each other that's just stupid. Yeah. Why wouldn't he just and mail it from the... Like, I don't... Mm. And it's also revealed that Patricia, who is a... Or at the time was a very vibrant redhead, um, wore cheap blonde wigs and travelled to Germany and Italy on Carol's passport throughout the late 80s. Great. So, yeah, that was literally all it took use her passport was a blonde wig only that still worked today none of this facial recognition scanning and photo taking and in 1991 um samantha contacted her father to see if he had heard from her mother at all and uh he said she had written to him to say that she was living abroad uh but you know as you do he had burned the letter I always burn all mm. my correspondence with my missing oh, wife, yeah. who's not missing. She's just in the next room. Right. He burned the letter, as as one does. Um, and he would also tell this story to the police in later years. While uh, Russell was in prison for his insurance fraud conviction, police were still trying to locate Carol Packman. They started with the original missing persons report and found that um, much like the solicitors in 1990, 
Police hadn't asked for identification from Carol when she showed up, you know, alive and well. So literally anyone in a blonde wig could have walked in uh, to the police station and claimed to be her. Um, Dorset police and the specific station in Bournemouth who dealt uh, with this sort of, hey, I'm alive, walk in, um, have since admitted that they super fucked up and have apologized. Uh, not that that does much for Carol's family or, you know, the investigation into a, 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 a missing person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, police need to be held accountable and they need to admit when they fuck up. But at the same time, I'm like, great, got a time machine so you can get this right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the new investigation also found that there was no record of a Carol Packman anywhere in the UK after 1985. She had never been to the doctors, the dentist, never renewed a passport, owned a car, taken out insurance. She had literally just vanished without a trace. Um, they then moved their search out further into Europe and eventually worldwide. And the only reports of Carol are when Patricia used her identity in Canada and when the letter was sent from West Germany. Uh, during this investigation, it was also discovered that on June 14th, 1985, the day before she disappeared, Carol visited a solicitor to discuss beginning divorce proceedings. Now, we've said it before on the show, but it bears repeating, so I'll say it again. The most dangerous time for a woman or anyone in an abusive relationship is when they try to leave. Statistically, this is when the abused person is most likely to be killed. If I can't have you, nobody can. Yeah. And police are now absolutely convinced that she's dead and that Russell had murdered her. But they had yet another problem. There was no body. So before Russell could be arrested for murder, they had to prove that Carol was actually dead. So along with all the circumstantial evidence that Patricia had been impersonating Carol to provide a paper trail, there was testimony from a number of inmates who had known Russell during his two-year sentence for fraud... One claimed that Russell had told them when he was arrested for fraud, he thought he was going to be arrested for something much worse. Uh, take from that what you will. <laughs> Another claimed that Russell had talked about needing to get rid of a body and how he hired two men to hide a body in a graveyard. Eventually, they had enough evidence to arrest Russell for Carol's murder. Although there was never enough evidence to arrest Patricia for, you know... Um, assisting in this or, or for impersonating Carol um, because Patricia always claimed that she didn't impersonate her she just used her work permit mm -hmm. which are different offences mm -hmm. uh, most people involved in the case believe that Patricia was always aware that Carol had been murdered because most people don't impersonate someone they believe to be alive because they fear being caught out so most believe she knew, which is why she had no problem using Carol's work permits or passport um, to travel to Italy and Germany. And also, how could Carol move away if she left her passport? And Patricia a, had the passport. That's a good Because the passport had never been renewed in those eight years. 
So Carol wasn't even, it wasn't like she could file like a missing passport claim and get a new one. Yeah. It was always left at the family home. So, you know. I mean, some people genuinely don't give a fuck. They'll just go and, like, some people, con men, con women, will, like, just impersonate someone with no fear. Yeah. Um, Whether that person's alive or dead. But in this instance, I think she knew. Yeah. Seems pretty likely. Yeah. (laughs) So in 1996, after a three and a half week trial, a jury convicted Russell Cosley of the murder of Carol Pacman, and he was sentenced to life with a minimum of 16 years. The jury took just two hours to come to the unanimous guilty verdict. Uh, And Russell Cosley became one of very few people to be convicted in the absence of a body. Uh, Cosley immediately appealed the conviction, which Paul Donald, the now retired detective who worked on the Dorset police investigation, says the police and prosecution fully expected um, that because there was no body, no forensic evidence, and a number of their witnesses were convicted criminals, they definitely expected him to appeal right away. Yeah, I mean, most convicted murderers Do. appeal yeah. anyway, so... <laughs> I mean, circumstantial evidence is still evidence. Um, but, you know, they fully expected that he would, he also, he would appeal. He also seems like the type anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. There, there's a definite arrogance about him. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can't believe this. He kind of reminds me of um, Michael Peterson from The Staircase. You seen that? Oh, yeah. Right? Like, just don't know what happened. Um, so Russell Cosley does also have, so he does have some supporters who believe that Carol is still alive. Um, obviously there is the sort of one school of thought that says, you know, no body, no crime. Um, and some people do believe that it was Carol who went into the police station and said that she wasn't a missing person and just wanted to be left alone. Um, I was recently listening to a podcast that did an episode on uh, John George Haig, who is the acid bath murderer, who completely misunderstood what nobody, no crime meant <laughs> and basically went around confessing to his crimes and then was like yeah but there's no bodies because he dissolved the body he's acid bath murder he dissolved the bodies in acid (laughs) and like went around telling everyone and they were like okay we're gonna we're gonna arrest you and everything and he's like yeah but there's no body they're like it's not how this works no (laughs) and this was i believe back in the 1940s or 50s (laughs) oh my god (laughs) but yeah that just amused i mean yeah. Is that was that an episode of All Kill and Ophila? It was. I so I've listened to that and it just when you said the name, I think it was Rachel who did the little jingle with the John George Hay. John George Hay. How do you like it? How do you like it? Like, 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 <laughs> that's all I could think about whenever I hear his name now. Uh but yes, that is not how nobody no crime works. For anyone who may have been misinformed. So don't go dissolving people and then confessing. Either do do one or both or none. Or no, do one or the other or none. Just 
don't kill them to start I mean, with yes, is a good, good that idea. Would be the ideal scenario. <laughs> um, now, there's also sort of another camp uh, who hang on um, a comment made by one of the family's neighbors who were interviewed in The Investigator. The neighbor said that there's always a question mark in her mind as to whether or not Carol is still alive. Um, and they described Carol as being very competent, saying that if she put her mind to it, she could have disappeared. See, I, I completely understand where they're coming from with that. And I mean, the fact that she like taught herself how to do that job in the aerospace industry and everything yeah, shows that she was like highly intelligent, incredibly competent. But if you're just planning on upping and leaving, you're not going to see a divorce solicitor the day before. Yeah, exactly. In 2003, Causley's conviction was overturned and he was granted a retrial. But at this second trial in 2004, he was once again convicted of the murder of Carol Pacman. And he was returned to prison to finish his original sentence, which was 16 years to life with a minimum of 16 yeah. years. In 2014, Patricia Cosley ended her relationship with Russell. I mean, props to her. That's nearly 20 years she stuck by him. Yeah, him. holy shit. And he was livid. In response, he wrote a letter of confession claiming that he had strangled Carol, burned her body in a backyard bonfire, then scattered her ashes all over southern England. He also implicated Patricia, claiming she knew exactly what happened to Carol. And um, one thing that we didn't mention earlier was that when Sergeant Fowler interviewed Patricia following Russell's disappearance in Guernsey, he asked her if she knew where they could find Carol. And Patricia just turned and said, I don't think he'll ever find Carol. Because that's a totally normal thing to say. Yeah. Not like, oh, I don't know, Germany. No. I don't think you'll ever find her. Yikes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> however, Russell quickly recanted his confession, claiming he wrote it when he was heartbroken at having lost Patricia, who he described as the love of his life. I think he is the love of his life. Let's just... Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Dorset police didn't take this confession seriously because Russell was pretty clearly a pathological liar. Um, and they didn't excavate the garden of the former family home to see if they could find any charred bone fragments. Um, in the investigator, Mark Williams Thomas and his team did carry out uh, an excavation at the at the home, but uh, they found only animal remains. Um, Russell has also made various other confessions, uh, each including a different way that he killed and disposed of Carol's body. Um, fair warning, slightly graphic here. So, uh, so far, he has claimed to have burned her body dissected her and dumped the body parts in an old mine shaft, had her buried in the grave of a relative of his, fed her body to pigs, and or also dissolved her body in acid. Yeah, and actually I got that from a tweet uh, posted by uh, Samson Neal. Oh. That's just what he put on Twitter when he's been talking 
we'll get in a minute we'll get to why it's been back in the news but he's been talking a lot about yeah. it and obviously trying to get justice for his grandmother yeah. um but yeah they were just like in one tweet these are six ways or five ways he's um he's confessed to over the years and we still don't have yeah. a body um, so at a parole hearing in 2018, the parole board recommended Cosley being moved to an open prison, but the justice secretary stepped in and blocked the move. So now we're going to get into why has this case been back in the news recently? Well, earlier this year, the prisoners disclosure of information about victims bill, also known as Helen's law went into effect in the UK. So Helen's Law is named after 22-year-old Helen McCourt, who was murdered in February 1988. So we don't have time to go into all the details of Helen's case, but in short, Helen's body has never been found. But in 1989, Ian Sims was convicted of her murder in another of the very few no-body murder convictions. Sims has never revealed where Helen's body is nor has he ever admitted to her murder, showed any remorse or any of it. Helen's parents, Marie and Michael, have devoted their lives to supporting families of victims of murder and manslaughter. And in 2015, they became involved in a campaign to change the law surrounding parole for murderers. The campaign proposed that convicted murderers should not be allowed parole if they refused to disclose the location of their victim's body or bodies. But sadly, for Helen's family and friends, in November 2019, less than two months before Helen's law went into effect, Ian Sims was granted parole and is now a free man after serving 30 years in prison. Um, Helen's family said that even though it was too late for them, they hoped that the law would save other families the pain of seeing their loved one's murder go free, despite them never revealing the location of the body. Uh Samantha and Neil Gillingham also campaigned tirelessly alongside the McCourt family for this new change in the law. Um, however, that has not been the case for Samantha, Neil, and the rest of Carol Packman's loved ones. In the spring of 2020, the family were told to prepare themselves for the chance that Russell Causley would be granted parole when his next chance came up. And unfortunately, that is what happened. At the beginning of this month, September 2020, Russell Causley was granted parole and expected to be released from prison within 28 days, having served 25 years for the murder of Carol, despite not disclosing where he disposed of her body. So we are going to do a Patreon bonus episode on Helen's Law soon, possibly next week, where we'll look at the ins and outs of this law and how it works or more accurately doesn't work in practice um but to sort of sum it up helen's law uh quote will place a legal duty on the parole board to consider the anguish caused by murderers who refuse to disclose the location of a victim's body when considering release end quote but it is not an automatic ban on parole um so it has been described by campaigners as a law with with no teeth basis basically um, Neil says the parole board told him that Cosley is classed as currently posing a physical threat to himself and an emotional threat to his mother, Sam. But due to him being elderly, now age 76, the threat is deemed low. 
Um, the parole board have not disclosed any of the details of the threat Cosley is supposed to po uh, is you know supposedly posing to Samantha and Neil. Human rights lawyers, experts, etc., claim that an actual no body, no parole law, one which would place an outright ban on parole for murderers who refuse to disclose the location of their victim's body, which is what Helen's law was originally proposed to be, is in violation of prisoners' human rights. Mm. This is actually to prevent against arbitrary detention, which I fully support. Mm -hmm. But I don't like that this justification is being used here. Yeah. Although supporters claim that if it's applied consistently and fairly, Helen's law can balance the victim's relative's rights with the rights of the murderer. Mm. Which I think is fair. Um, so yeah, we will we will get into all of that in greater, finer detail on Patreon. So if you're interested in that, um, and if you're interested in seeing us tackle a confusing legal precedent then come on down um yeah. so it's always fun to see us uh, confuse ourselves yeah. each other um so by the time this episode goes out uh we usually record up to a week in advance um russell cosley may be out and about and walking the streets of britain after 25 years in prison um despite his multiple confessions all of which he has recanted um, Carol's body has never been found. Patricia Cosley Ward, as she's now known, has never been prosecuted for her alleged role in helping Russell Cosley cover up Carol's death, impersonating Carol, uh, or making it look like she was still alive by traveling to Italy and Germany using Carol's passport. Um, allegedly. allegedly, yes. Uh, nor was she ever prosecuted for using Carol's work permit in Canada. Confirmedly. That one. Yes. That one we do know. <laughs> um, so that is the case of the disappearance of Carol Pacman. Uh-huh. Hope you're all still with us and have managed to kind of follow that story. It is, is a bit of a winding road, that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Now we said we will do a proper episode on Helen's law, but it is really sad that this law basically isn't protecting the victims' families. Yeah. Um, Especially when, like, they're... It's not like they're sort of sitting back and, and not offering up public comment or, or an opinion about whether or not he should be released. They're actively saying, like, no. Yeah, see... Uh, Helen's mother, uh, Marie McCart, she's been in the news. I actually got a clip uh, from Channel 4 News, which we will put in the episode description, which mm. um, Sam Gillingham is also in there talking about um, trying to find her mother and obviously her father coming up for, for parole. Um, but Helen's mother, Marie, she says, she says we're not even asking for him to be kept in for longer. We want, we just want her body, and we want to be able to lay her to rest. Yeah. The they're not asking for an extended sentence. They're not asking for anything like that. They literally just want to know where she is, and you know, to give her a proper burial, a proper funeral. Yeah, yeah, and that's. I mean, for for the the people who sort of argue that it's against uh, prisoners' human rights, I think that's an important way to frame it because 
it's really not about like victims' families saying we want this person in jail for as long as possible just because we said so. It's yeah. we want this last bit of information about this horrible, you know, tragedy in our family so we can move on. Yeah. It's not about vengeance, it's about closure. Yeah, that, and that, that's an important important point, point to make as well. It's closure, it's not vengeance, it's not revenge, it's about closure. Yeah. Um, especially after, you know, 25, 30, 35 years, like, yeah. just just tell them like come on man yeah it's yeah and and especially in in the case of, Car of russell cosley it just goes to show his arrogance and yeah absolutely the fact that had he not faked his own death he'd actually probably have got away with this because nobody was looking for carol that's true and uh, i think that's a really I mean, important than... point <laughs> Obviously, other than Samantha, yeah. but would she have ever had that? You know, sort of the the support and the resource to find out what happened to her mother, yeah. If they hadn't already been looking very suspiciously at her father, no, absolutely. And ultimately, it was his fucking hubris and and greed and arrogance that yeah. you know got him put away. Um, when I, so I'm pretty sure that I, a couple, like a year plus ago, I watched this season of The Investigator. Um, but yeah, so highly recommend that. What this case also super reminds me of is, um, the disappearance of Lynette Dawson, which is covered in, uh, intense detail in the, um, teacher's pet podcast and it's the same kind of thing where like uh basically i think the story is she called and said oh i'm going out of town for the weekend and then she was just never seen again and the her husband had moved in their teenage babysitter who he was also sleeping with and like all this crazy shit and even down to the like the family home being excavated years later kind of thing looking for evidence so if you're if you found this case interesting and you haven't listened to teacher's pet highly recommend that because yeah, it is i'm gonna go and wild listen to it as well because i've i hadn't heard of that until no about an hour no 10 minutes before we started recording this yeah um, so, yeah, um, I am excited for that as well. Yeah, and it's it's Australian, so uh, the host Headley Thomas has an awesome voice. So <laughs> really, really good. Are uh, you going to use that for practice for next week for our Australia <laughs> episode? <laughs> One final thought from me, which this is going to sound awful, but bear with me. So the whole point of Helen's Law talks about the sort of the impact. Um, and sort of the emotion, like the emotional impact and trauma on um, the victim's family. When you look at pictures of Carol's family, of especially of Sam, you can see in her face how this has just weighed on her her entire life. Yeah. 
I obviously looking at the dates, I don't know her exact date of birth, but she's in her early fifties. I thought she she looks the same age as like our mothers. Our mothers that well, my mum is sixty two, your mum's slightly older. She's sixty eight. Yeah. Oh, she's old. I thought she was only a couple of years older than my mum. But so yeah, this sounds really awful. And again, we are judging women on the way they look, but you can just see how this has just weighed yeah. on her her entire life. Yeah. And obviously you cannot decide parole on the way you have made a victim's family age, but you can see every interview she's done, every picture, everything, you can just see how this case has weighed on her and affected her. Yeah. And well, and like obviously, you know, her son has never met his grandmother, has never gotten sort of closure, you know, their their family is missing a member and yeah. wants to know what happened. Yeah, his his whole life has been about finding yeah. his what happened to his grandmother. And he's only, I think, a year or two years older than us. And I cannot mm-hmm. imagine that being, no. being our age and that being just your entire life. Yeah, carrying that around is awful. So on that really depressing note. Go to social media. <laughs> just scroll your depression away. That is um, possibly the most millennial thing I've ever heard in my life. Yep. (laughs) Well, if you would like to talk more about this case and about Helen's Law, about like no body cases, missing person cases, any any sort of thing like that. If you've seen um, the Netflix show, The Investigator, come talk to us on social media, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and now occasionally, sometimes a little bit. Twitter. Um, and if you would be so kind, we would love it if you could give us a rating or review um, after or before or during listening to this this year podcast. Um, it super duper helps us reach new people and um, just, yeah, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, just, just share the love. Yeah. And if uh, you would like to go one step further, you can join our Patreon. Yes. So pledges start at just $1, uh, about £1, because the exchange rate is in the shitter again. Uh Um, But for $1 a month, you get episodes a day early. You get a shout out on the show. $2 or more, you get some really fun merch. That is all sat in a box under my desk. Um, <laughs> Just dying to be sent out to you, dear listener. And $5 or more, you get some fun bonus episodes. We have a lot planned for next month because it's Halloween. So yeah, come yeah. and join us on Patreon, join us on social media, hang out, validate us as human beings, please. We need this. <laughs> validate our life choices. Um, yeah, so, you know, Thank you, as always, for listening. You are all wonderful, lovely people. 
and we so appreciate being in your your ears uh, every week. So thank you very much, and uh, we will see you again next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.